Hello, you're listening to the KPMG Private Enterprise Insights for Entrepreneurs series. I'm Ian Kyo, and today we're going to be talking about mid-sized companies with a track record who want to raise anything between 5 and 50 million euro in finance. To do this, I'm joined by David O'Kelly. He's a corporate finance partner working with KPMG's private enterprise team. David, you're very welcome. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me. As I said, we're not talking about startups. We're not talking about multinationals. We're talking about the mid-tier of Irish businesses, kind of the backbone, mm-hmm. the backbone of the economy. And this was, if they're going out there raising somewhere between five and 50 million, it's a lot of money. The key consideration when they look at it, I suppose, they're probably seeing a plethora of everything from debt to equity. What's the number one consideration they need to have before they can get any of this money? To be honest, Ian, when we sit down with clients, the, the first thing we ask really is, you know, what do the shareholders want to achieve? So do they want to do they want to get more money into the business? Do they want to get uh, take debt into the business and grow the business that way? Do they want to take some uh, some cash off the table or do they want to de-risk by maybe using somebody else's equity? So it really starts and ends with what the shareholders want to achieve. So it can be anything from this is an equity release, a way of getting some money in and somebody else is taking a stake right through to raising debt finance for expansion. Correct. Absolutely. And the key theme that I'd like people to take to is there are just so many options for capital uh, so that anybody who has, a, who has a business, whether it is that de-risking or whether they want to grow their business, there's a huge amount of capital available. Let's start off with that equity piece and sure. we'll come to debt after. But the equity piece, I mean, it's a big thing to go out and raise money. Essentially, we call it you're raising equity, but in essence, you're selling a bit of your business. What trends are you seeing out there? Are you seeing are a lot of funds looking to get in in a zero interest rate environment? So it's a, it's a good place for capital. Are they, What type of businesses are they looking at? Well, I think if you look at the, say, at the institutional equity environment, so private equity funds and, and those types of investors, probably one of the single biggest influencers is the fact that those funds have approximately two trillion of uninvested capital. That's a lot so, of money. An awful lot of money. And effectively, you know, they either have to invest that money or return that capital. And private equity has been a hugely successful place for pension funds to invest their money through the cycle. So they continue to build that level of capital at, a, at around about 250 billion a quarter. What that has meant is that private equity have had to look very hard for investments, and there, there really is more capital than investments at the moment, and also they've had to innovate. So from the point of view of somebody who has a business, if they're thinking about raising equity, the options available to them, to, to them now are much, much greater than they were five years ago because the private equity funds have to work harder to get deals. It's interesting, and it? it's kind of almost like the, the the upturn of the current of the current economic situation. How do they go about raising? It? I mean, what does the process involve? I suppose it does really start with well, what am I trying to do here? What are my objectives? Yeah. And you know, often companies get an approach and they they follow that approach, but really without really have ha- having had that soul searching, and that's a, that can be a real kind of deal risk. So they just they, see the money in the background they say I'll have some of that or I'll raise it without realising do I want it is it the right amount is yeah. this the right partner Somebody comes along and say look do you want to be rich uh, take a load of money off the table and you know that, that can that may be the right the right answer so for me it, start, it does start with that kind of cold honest conversation of what do the shareholders want the next bit is the kind of the, the definitely the, the unsexy bit there is a lot of preparation that needs to be done before you can bring a company to the to the market so that go, ranges from you know having a very clear idea around you know the, the management team and who are people going to back and that may not be the current shareholder and the current managing director 
identifying any any issues that might come up in diligence and making sure that you deal with those issues. It's much easier to deal with those issues before you go to market than when you're out there talking to a, a potential purchaser. And just making sure that the whole process can run as slickly as possible. What we try and do is make sure that we do we do that that heavy lifting at the outset so that we're, when we're out there talking to private equity funds, we can move quickly. We can address their questions quickly. We can, we've already developed the story that we're going to sell to them so that when they are in looking at the company, we can keep pace. There's one of the biggest things that kills deals is just time. Just people not being able to respond quickly enough, people losing interest. Yeah, people distracted. will lose interest yeah. when the next yeah. deal will come along. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. Are, you know, also businesses are, are, are living things. So issues come up. So if you have a, a long patch of time while a deal is going on, you just get one issue after another that, you know, in all of us in business, in, every, in everyday life, issues come up. In a deal context, they can be elevated to a level that really can be quite damaging to, to the ultimate shareholder objectives. Um, just from, from a trends perspective, when, when, um, what's going on at the moment? I mean, when, when private equity companies are coming in, are they looking for full control? Is it minority shareholding? What's the what's the big trend? So that that's a really interesting question. It's very timely. So, a number of years ago, most private equity type investors were really only interested in control. They may have had uh, economically less than fifty percent, but they had to control certain things, like they had to have higher fire rights over senior management, and they had to decide when you're going to sell the company and so on. Very strict guidelines around it. Yeah. yeah, and for a lot of family companies, they they're pretty uncomfortable things. The idea that, you know, uh, I founded this business 20 years ago and you're going to come in and tell me when it's my time to go. Um, that's it's understandable. That's, yeah. emo that's emotional territory. What we've seen and one of, the one of the definite trends we've seen is that this influx of capital with so much money around the private equity funds, some, some of the funds have differentiated themselves and said, you know what, we will do minority investments. We'll support you. We will, whether it's taking cash off the table or, or cash in to do an acquisition or build a new production line or whatever it is, we'll come in as minority investors. We will be very interested shareholders, but we won't try and be majority shareholders when we're not. Yeah, so they'll be a supportive, not, we wouldn't call them a passive backer. Absolutely not passive. Very involved, but you still get to retain ownership of the business. It's a nice way to do risk and also to get some equity out for yourself. Absolutely. And we see that as very attractive to, to a lot of family businesses because what they can do is they can take some cash out, de-risk themselves, as you, as, as you say, and, and allow for the rainy day. But they can also keep an investment in a business that has probably been very good to them and, and good to the family. And, and ultimately, it's the, probably the safest investment they'll do because they can control it. So as we've all over the last couple of years been watching either the British or the Irish version of Dragon's Den and we see, you know, the entrepreneur, the intrepid entrepreneur goes in and, you know, he's going to, I'll give you 100, I'll give you 10% for 100 grand and by the time he comes out, he's lost 40% for the same amount of money. The big question when you're doing all of this is around valuations mm -hmm. and what you're willing to give and how much you're, yeah. how much, how big, how important a role is that within the process? Uh, it, it's very important and there from our point of view, the valuation argument starts before you talk to an investor. So you have to start by presenting a company well, presenting a, a strong investable proposition and presenting something that the investors are excited in. A story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and an exciting story, a good story that can show a robust record of delivery, 
and that it's believable that this company will go on and do do very good things. Clearly, you can only do that with good companies. Uh, <laughs> and if you have issues that you should address uh, before you get to investors, as I said, well, you should go address them. In terms of valuation, then, uh, clearly, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about those, those value arguments and would be very au fait with the, the types of metrics uh, yeah. that would apply to certain types of companies. Often we find that by running a competitive process, if you have a number of interested parties, in all likelihood, you'll get the best outcome on value. Really is amazing, isn't it? Sorry, it's something you've said a couple of times. I suppose it is that general economic environment. I mean, 10 years ago, companies were literally hunting for money to try and get some mm. capital into their businesses. Now it's almost like a beauty parade the other way around when you're talking about, you know, you can actually drive a better bargain, such as the wall of capital that exists. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a major change where... Like let's SMEs are are typically a pretty good bet, you know. If you're a company that's been around for twenty years and or if you've more, you've got through the last you've 10. Got, absolutely. You've got through the cycle. Typically, very highly motivated and top class management. So it's it's no surprise that they're attractive companies to invest in. Big question for a lot of people sure. when they're looking at raising finance is debt or equity. Mm-hmm. And I know you said at the start it's shareholder objectives, but what would be the differentiating factor between deciding to go debt, equity, or even a combination of both? Well, single factor in people's mind is dilution. And different times, I think people have different views on this. It's interesting when in 2013 and 2014, a lot of Irish companies were over levered. They had to effectively buy out their loans from exiting banks and so on. And an awful lot of clients that we would have worked with at that time really were very adverse to the idea of external equity. And it was, I think, driven by a a sense that, look, I don't really want to take dilution to sort out the sins of the past. It's interesting now, and maybe it's the evolution of the markets as well and the type of equity that's available, that companies are now saying, well, maybe just using the absolute maximum amount of leverage to do this isn't the right way to do it. And maybe I know people who do that in the past and it it didn't work well for them. So we are seeing increasing openness to say, yeah, I want I want to sleep well at night. I want I want to use le- uh, leverage because it's the cheapest form of capital, but I want to use an appropriate level of leverage to make sure that my business is there in the longer run. Let's be honest, if if you're out there, you're trying to raise between, as we said at the start, between five and 50, you're not going to an angel investor. You're not going to, no. you know, someone in that sense. You really are going to a more institutional. Well, yeah, that that's, yes, I, I agree with and you no, by and but, large. Yeah. Uh, but the, you don't need to look stri- uh, solely at uh, private equity. The, the whole family office market is quite active. And that goes from, you know, Michael Dell looking at football clubs right down to, you know, some uh, some Irish families who have very sophisticated family offices that will invest on similar but not identical terms to private equity. And the not identical bit is that from a family office point of view, often they're not looking for a fixed horizon date. They mm-hmm. say, look, this, this is about family wealth, maybe potentially multi-generational wealth. So we're happy to, for effectively for our family to invest with you or, or your family. And, and for that to, be a, that to be a long-term deal. And so if they hang around, what sort of time frame are the, are, are the more traditional PEs looking at? Conventional wisdom in the past was, you know, like a, a five-year horizon. Now, there are funds that are, that are investing on a, on a, effectively on an evergreen basis so that they, that they always have the, have the money. But you know, 
conventional wisdom would say around about a five-year horizon. It's interesting, in, in the last number of years, because of the level of deal activity and the level of capital, we've often seen the, we've seen the hold time actually decrease. Uh, but that's less to do with pressure from private equity and more to do with opportunity to to get an exit and and, and make some money. Make some money. Let's talk about debt for a while. Sure. I, I I think you know whatever way you look now, we see signposts, billboards, you know, raising funds. The government is out there selling it as well. I mean, as, you know, between crowdfunding, everything, there's there's an immense amount of debt yep. available in the market. Yeah. Uh, how can people steer their way, navigate their way through this maze? I think maybe looking at the market by volume, like I know there's a lot of there's a lot of talk of uh, of alternatives and so on, and and the non-bank lenders, those funds, they're they're a very important part of the market, but you know the bulk of the market is still made up by the banks, and the to my mind the banks are now very eager to to lend, but they lend for they lend they lend for debt cases. You know, they, they don't want to find themselves lending in situations where effectively they're replacing equity. Um, but I think most market practitioners now have a very good handle on what the banks will do. And uh, so just let's tease that sure. point out a bit, that that difference between they don't want to take the equity place. Yeah. You might just explain a little bit what you mean by that. So I guess at its simplest, usually the most banks now, as governed by the central bank, will look at lending from a cash flow point of view. So before the financial crisis, you know, you would have got maybe lending based on value, a lot in property, but also in, in, in other sectors. Now, most of the bank's models are based around, well, what's the debt service capacity? How much cash is this business currently generating and what level of debt can that service? Um, that's not exclusively how it's, how it's done, yeah, it's but that's the... Good model. Yeah. Um, Equity risk would fall into a situation that is more uncertain. So I want to do, I want to grow into a new marketplace. Uh, I have no history in that marketplace, and I want to do something that hasn't been done before. That feels a lot more like equity. That's when the guys are looking for a heavy return for backing a project, as opposed to the, the, the yeah. standard interest rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of the, the parameters which the banks operate, we find all of the banks domestically and, and some international banks very, very keen to get, get money out the door. Where the, the innovation that's been there in the last number of years is these non-bank lenders. And non-bank lenders is a bit of a mouthful. They're, they're effectively funds. And they're funds who are, rather than deploying money as, as private equity, they're deploying money as, as debt. In the past, you know, people have said, you know, people have been very focused on debt as, look, I just want the lowest cost debt. And the lowest cost debt will often, not always, but often come from the banks. Where the non-bank lenders major, and we see more clients interested in these attributes, where they major is on, maybe you don't need to repay back that debt uh, every quarter and every year. Maybe there can be a period without amortization. Uh, maybe there's an ability to redraw the debt or there's committed capital expenditure lines or, or whatever they might be. So they tend to have greater flexibility. and But that flexibility comes at a price. Well, it does. And I suppose an awful lot of people were scarred from, from borrowing because it was asset-based borrowing. People gave personal guarantees. Is that is that still commonplace in the market now or has it shifted on? 
we don't see personal guarantees really as a feature of the marketplace now. Uh, certainly so not a lot of people will probably be breathing a sigh of relief at that. Um, we do occasionally come across personal guarantees on on some some of the kind of the the, the smaller end of 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 uh, of business and. What I would always advise somebody to do in that situation, and the reason the bank will say I want a personal guarantee in that situation, is they'll say, look, Ian, I'm lending. I know it's the business, but I'm lending to you. And if this goes poorly, I don't want you just throwing the keys at me. I want you helping me to work this out. So you need to have skin in the game. And if you don't have hard equity, you need to be putting something else in. And you know, there's, there's a logic to that point of view. What we always advise people is that, well, that skin in the game and that personal guarantee, first of all, first piece of advice is if you can avoid it at all, don't give it. <laughs> the second piece of advice is cap it. So, you know, if you say, well, it's capped to one year salary or something like that, you have my attention and I'm going to be aligned to try and work this out. I'm engaged in I'm the process. I'm engaged, yeah, I'm listening to you. But it doesn't mean that you're going to take my house or it's going to hang over me for 10 years or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I suppose with so much out there, um, it really is important to match the right need for of a company with the right capital because otherwise you could have a situation, some company is coming along, they're looking for a long-term partner and what they get is a three-year flip, yeah. you know, or, 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 or where they should be going for debt, they're going for equity or vice versa. I mean, these are big considerations for companies. They absolutely are. And, you know, sometimes it might be the first person who knocks on the door, that's the Prince Charming and so on. Uh, but often we see private equity, you know, taking private in- equity investment. It's part, it's part science, it's part financial, it's part process, but it's also part dating. Uh, and the that interpersonal element of it, that making sure actually this is somebody I can do business with, and this is somebody that I'm happy to go on a on a five year or longer journey. And they have similar values to me. They have similar ambition for my business. And they are seeing this as more than just transactional. We see that as absolutely critical. It's just no fun if six months down the line, people aren't seeing the world the same way. Yeah, and are you primarily seeing the funds coming out? Are they Irish-based or are they coming, or is there most of the, much of the capital international? So there's a lot of, a lot of Irish funds. Or, well, there, 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 are, there are a good number of Irish funds and, and that market has increased an awful lot in the last, the last number of years. I see that as a huge positive because... Ultimately, funds that have people based here in Ireland and that can build relationships here in Ireland. And they understand the market. And and primarily, they, you know, if you're in retail or pharmaceutical, whatever it is, they probably know that industry. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And they will, you know, Ireland ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not six degrees of separation. You know, it's two at best. Uh, so they... You know, invariably in, in Ireland, if you will, if you're in business, you will know somebody who's taken investment from an Irish fund, and you'll be able to get the get a get a an impartial view. Yeah. Um, we do see a lot of foreign funds here as well, an awful lot from the UK, and in certain sectors, in say in infrastructure type sectors, we're seeing a lot of European funds, and then you know we've all seen kind of the US funds do large tech deals or, or other deals in the in the market here. So- so we've looked at it from the perspective of the business themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's flip that. Um, look, if people are investing in a startup, they're looking for ambition or a story. They're taking a chance, an educated chance, but it's a chance because nobody knows. When you're investing in a company, mid-range company, five to 50, they have a track record. You know what you're invested in. What sort of stories 
are the private equity funds looking for when they're looking to invest? Yeah, I think you still need to see, like it's still, people is, the, the investment in people is still core to what, what's going on here. So a a high quality management team who are who are invested, who are I mean personally invested, who who want to see the company do well, who have a vision for the company. I think that always comes to to the top of the list. You just can't run a company without people, and you certainly won't have an outperforming company without the, without the right people. Then what they're wa- going to want to see is you know a growth story potentially international expansion, maybe if that's appropriate for the for the business. Uh, good margins. It's uh, it's just easier to have a tough time in a, in a business that starts with good margins than one that starts with, uh, with lower margins. Not impossible, but uh, easier. And then you see a lot of sector factors. So, you know, we're seeing internationally that, you know, sectors are changing. So what's happening with the future of, like, see companies? What's happening with uh, cars, what's happening with delivery companies and so on. So there's there's a lot of change going on on an international basis and there, there are sectors that uh, sometimes investors aren't very keen on and there are sectors that sometimes uh, sectors are uh, that investors are very, very keen on. As, as of now, mid to late 2019, what are those sectors, the, the, the handsome sectors for potential suitors? Um, we, so there are some uh, fundamental sectors such as, you know, uh, energy in the form there's a huge going on in, in energy with the decarbonisation of the world there's a and monumental amount of foreign capital coming into that from everything from, from solar to wind to everything in between to power plants it really yeah. is a massive uh, growth all, area all, all types of uh, all types of capital there's uh, Irish capital being deployed as well but there is just such a there's a huge amount of capital required healthcare we're seeing a lot of capital in, in healthcare uh industrials uh, there's a lot of really interesting Irish manufacturing companies so you're getting you know in, in the past manufacturing was associated with you know kind of very big large uh, plants with smokestacks and all sorts of things you're getting some very smart precision manufacturing going on in Ireland a lot of great services businesses uh, in Ireland so it's difficult to say you know that uh, it's difficult to say you know, it's precisely just this sector. Yeah. There's so many interesting companies in Ireland and, and spread across different sectors. I suppose if you say a common theme, it's it's the companies that are seeking to do something, doing something a little bit different, adding a bit va- a bit of value, and ultimately, you know, what's it, why does any company exist? Well, they, they may exist to create money, but they only have a purpose if they're doing something good for their customers. Yeah. I want to go back to where we started because it was a really interesting point and I want to dwell upon it before we go again. It was this idea of the minority equity mm, partner. Sure. Uh, because it's it's something, I suppose, it's relatively new. I haven't come across it that much. But you're saying it's rising and it's rising and it, it's a good it's a good outlet for people either looking to get capital in mm. uh, to, in, to, to invest, to expand, to internationalise or to get some skin out of the game because they're not whole, yeah. wholly exposed to their own family business. Yeah. No, I, I, I think so. I think it's a really interesting... Uh, innovation in the in the market, uh, like we had a we had a deal recently. I I, I won't name the company directly, but it was uh, a business owned by uh, by by a family. Um, the family ha- were getting to the point where they wanted to step back from day to day management of the business. They wanted to bring in management succession. Uh, 
they the business had been very very uh, good to them. They they acquired the business, but they they through their management expertise they had uh, grown profits you know fourfold, um, and it made sense to bring in in that situation actually a family office to uh, buy a, a large minority of the shares. They took a you know a, a lot of their value off the table, but they retained a, a strong interest in the business going forward and and majority control. So that type of story or that those type of dynamics, I just see as something that fits in a lot of situations with family business, and especially now where the money is there. Yeah, the t- uh, right now those deals can be done. You you couldn't do them a number of years ago. Um, finally, I'll put you on the spot. Your number one piece of advice for a, a mid a mid sized company going out to the market looking to raise. I think get your objectives straight and prepare. And I suppose if I can give a second piece of advice, is these are very very demanding processes. So make sure that you whether it's internal or external, make sure that you allocate the team to do it, that they're properly resourced to do it and that they can go at it and do it properly. You only really get the opportunity to do these things once, every, uh, once. so you want to make sure you do it right. How long How long can the time frame be? Look, I know these things vary depending on, you know, complexity, mm. but, but broadly for from uh, somebody ringing you. Yeah, to, so for an equity type investment, a rule of thumb would be, you know, four or six months. For debt can be quicker. Uh, debt might be, should be, you know, say three months or so three months or so okay uh, David O'Kelly from KPMG thank you very much for joining me here today Ian thank you very much for having me